Hello and welcome to the latest in what we are now calling our GCP Explainer episodes. These are short episodes we produce when we feel something relatively big has just happened and it may be beneficial for listeners to have it explained by some resident experts telling you why it is potentially important to you and and to them, hopefully putting it in some context and letting you know what might happen next and any wider ramifications. We used to call these GCP bonus episodes, and we have done them previously on things such as the election of President Biden and the recent CIC Services LLC versus IRS Supreme Court case. And surprise, surprise, the Internal Revenue Service are front and centre of this latest news story as well. So in a moment, you will hear from Cassie Buckman, Managing Director of Operations and Legal at Elevate Risk Solutions, Ben Whitehouse, Senior Counsel at Butler Snow LLP, and friend of the podcast, Mikael Rabstein, partner and co-leader of EY's Captive Insurance Services. So what are we going to be talking about today? Well, on the 16th of July 2021, a United States District Court in Delaware ruled that a petition brought by United States to enforce an IRS summons on the Delaware Department of Insurance be granted, while the DDOI's own motion to quash that summons was denied. Our team of experts will get into the reasons why the United States and IRS prevailed on this occasion, but why did the IRS originally feel the need to provide the summons to Delaware in the first place? Well, this is related to an IRS investigation dating back to 2013 into a book of captive business managed by Artex, also previously known as Tribeca Strategic Advisors. In October 2017, the IRS issued DDOI a summons seeking information on a around 200 insurance certifications the department issued to microcaptives associated with Artex and Tribeca. Delaware has ultimately produced and handed over, I think, around 2,000 pages of documents to the IRS, but has continued to challenge the legality of handing over further client-specific documents, I believe, in request one of the summons that have been requested by the service. And that is what brings us to today's ruling by the district court. So let's first hear from Cassie about a bit more background on this case and what the court has said. Thanks, Richard. So this circles back to October of 2017. The IRS issued a summons to the Delaware Department of Insurance for materials related to a promoter audit of Artex. And this specific case concerns a petition to enforce that summons by the IRS and then the Delaware Department's motion seeking to quash the summons, or for an alternative, they want a protective order issued by the court. So the big issue is whether the Delaware Department has to provide confidential information, which includes client-specific emails and testimony, to the IRS when an audit is being conducted. Delaware, they're arguing that they're being asked to violate their own law if they have to hand over information without the consent of the client. And I know Ben's going to get into this later, but the standard for determining whether the McCarran-Ferguson Act warrants the reverse preemption of a non-antitrust case, which is this case, that first requires application of a threshold element. And that element asks whether the challenged conduct itself, so whether what Delaware is acting, asking to be enforced, was enacted for the purpose of regulating the business of insurance. And the court said no, that this confidentiality 
statute was not solely for the purpose of regulating insurance. So this means the IRS can now get information from the captive owners through that captive owner's domicile, even if the captive owners don't give consent. Thank you, Cassie. Uh, as a good good explainer. So, Ben, what were the Delaware Department of Insurance arguments here, and and why have they generally been dismissed by the court? Sure, Delaware has a statute, and and just about every other you know major captive domicile uh, that I've uh, looked at has a similar statute regarding the confidentiality of information provided to the department uh, by captive uh, uh, applicants, both the application files, uh, the examination files, and any ongoing uh, records. Those submissions are treated as confidential, and and most captive laws uh, go a step further to affirmatively say that those records are not even subject to a subpoena. That is uh, quite rare. Uh, Typically, records in government hands or in a state government hands uh, are usually open to sunshine laws unless there's a specific exemption. These captive confidentiality statutes even say that it is not subject to a subpoena, and that's ultimately what Delaware uh, was trying to protect. Uh, And again, most other states have very similar uh, subpoena blocking uh, provisions as well. The Delaware Insurance Department argued, you know, number one, that the IRS really had no business getting the information from the Delaware Insurance Department because they already had uh, the requested information uh, in their possession. Uh, as I'm sure your listeners understand that you know, the IRS has been very aggressive uh, in collecting information from not only captive owners, but from captive managers, uh, including information about applications and other information uh, that are necessarily provided to the insurance department. The court rejected that argument, saying that you know, there is no guarantee that, that the information that the IRS uh, received from captive owners and captive managers is identical to the information uh, that is received by the insurance department, and that there is a legitimate government interest uh, in uh, getting multiple sets of the same information uh, and comparing you know, what what the taxpayer, what the captive owner and the captive manager told the IRS, uh, and what those same individuals told uh, the state insurance regulator. We then get into the the, the main argument, which would be uh, the McCarran-Ferguson Act, the one that, that, that Cassie outlined just a few minutes ago. And Delaware argued that uh, essentially the IRS does not have subpoena enforcement power over uh, the state insurance department because of the McCarran-Ferguson Act, because that would impinge upon the state's confidentiality law uh, and ultimately argued that that law constitutes the business of insurance. And under McCarran-Ferguson, the federal government cannot, uh, does not have a role in regulating or affecting the business, the regulation of business of insurance, uh, and therefore is, is uh, you know, cannot use a subpoena to reach this. The question of whether something is the business of insurance can in many ways fall on, on, on one key point. Uh, you know, the court spent some time discussing uh, several issues related to uh, technical issues related to Third Circuit precedent, where which Delaware sits, uh, and potential other conflicting uh, interpretations that might exist uh, in other cir- circuits, specifically the Seventh Circuit, although the court really didn't go too deep into you know, outlining what a potential circuit split uh, might possibly mean, because essentially they found, you know, the same answer that the business of insurance in key part regulates the relationship between an insurer and an insured. And the court agreed with the IRS in saying that that this 
regulation, the subpoena enforcement, only discusses the regulation, the relationship between the insurer and its regulator. And that is not the business of insurance regulation. And the communications that flow between the insurer and the regulator don't amount to a regulation of the quote-unquote business of insurance. Therefore, it's not preempted. Essentially, the court was was just not buying that the information provided to the regulator uh, and the confidentiality uh, that was was offered is of a material nature that that is the you know underlying the business of insurance. The Delaware Insurance Department said that you know that the confidentiality is a cornerstone of ensuring a free flow of information between the regulator uh, and the captive and ultimately the captive owner because the captive insured and the captive owner uh, in many cases are are one and the same person uh, and so if the insurance department can really only do its job if it's getting this free flow of information and without ensuring some confidentiality, uh, that information you know, will not be as free and, and therefore they that's the impact. The court just simply did not buy that argument, saying that only if it's dealing with the insurer and the regulator, then it is a fair game for the IRS. Cheers, Ben. I think it's really important there that you do kind of give that context about the, you know, ongoing, uh, wide, aggressive um, yeah, tactics of the IRS to get as much information about the 830B captive area as possible. And, and this is just one part of that, isn't it? It's just another tool they're using. So yeah, of course, find that information about their specific audit of the Artex Tribeca book, but as there is a wider picture, but this this all sits in. We're going to come to the uh, wider ramifications of this uh, this order uh, in, in the second half of this. But Cassie, in terms of this case and where it's going, kind of what happens next? Is is there a right of appeal for for Delaware, etc.? Yeah. So what happens next? Well, this isn't final yet. This is the magistrate's judge's recommendation. So a federal judge will then review this, and it's highly unlikely the federal judge would disagree with the magistrate just because that's the whole point of the magistrate judge's opinion. So if, let's say, hypothetically, the federal judge does agree, then Delaware can appeal or they can go ahead and provide the requested emails and eventually testimony. Okay, so let's look at the kind of uh, the, the bigger picture here then, uh, Mike. How far reaching could this ruling be in, in setting precedent uh, for the IRS or other federal agencies and, and regulators to demand documents previously believed to be confidential or privileged from state insurance regulators? Thanks, Richard. And, and it's very interesting because uh, to go back to the point that Ben made about you know, the regulation of insurance and, you know, under the McCarran-Ferguson Act and, and the licensing approval and conduct of, of this process uh, dealing with the insured or the, or the insurance company that doesn't get into the rate, setting rates or, or policy terms, et cetera, that's under the business of insurance. This is the courts viewed this as outside. And from the IRS standpoint, generally, if we take a step back, uh, IRS has a history of, and not even IRS, but the state departments of revenue have a history of requesting information from not only the taxpayer, but some supplemental information, if they see, uh, if they deem it necessary, to uh, further aid their audits. Uh, the IRS here is attempting to do the exact same thing. They, they opened up an inquiry and they're requesting information to 
to further investigate uh, the matter. In terms of how far-reaching this ruling could be in, ter in terms of setting precedent for the IRS, at this point, kind of hard to say. From a legal perspective, I'll need to defer to Cassie and Ben to, pro uh, to provide their comments. But generally, when we see audits from the service, they typically focus on the things that we've seen in court cases that have come out both for non-microcaptives and microcaptives to request documents to see whether this was a principal purpose transaction, whether this was a abusive transaction, whether there was enough support, whether they, the client used and relied on the right consulting firms and advice from uh, subject matter professionals in setting up the arrangement, whether there's a sufficient business purpose uh, for the transaction. So in looking through that lens, as long as the insured, the companies are setting up captive insurance arrangements along the lines that are being advocated in the industry, making proper business decisions, making proper tax disclosures, making sure that the captive there is for valid insurance and business reasons. Well, of course, tax is part of the mathematics of the equation. As long as everything is set up right, I don't think there's there's something uh, for the insurers or for the owners of the captives to necessarily worry about in terms of IRS simply going after them on, on this premise, just starting to demand documents, because in most audits, such audits are limited to the information provided by the taxpayer to the service. And if the service feels something is not uh, adding up, they will ask for additional information. We haven't seen this um, in practice much uh, for IRS to go out of their way to ask other parties to provide information. Even if this goes to fully for the government, as Cassie mentioned in Delaware, appeals or, may not, or even maybe loses their appeal if it, does, it comes to that, uh, whatever the outcome will be, if it is fully for the for the service for the government, I don't think in and of itself, from you know the audit perspective or the audit risk as we call it, uh, this is going to be a very big red flag for the companies that take all the necessary steps when they approve or when they work on approval of their business case with a regulator, and when they do uh, when they set up insurance companies for their valid insurance and business purposes. So on that, in that regard, I think this will be a consideration, but I don't believe at least at this point, this is, will be something that will be a significant red flag for the companies to immediately say, I cannot provide something to the state regulator because IRS may find out or um, IRS may demand the documents because that should not be the approach when you have valid business reason to set up a captive. Yeah, Mike, and that, and that kind of does uh, chime in with you know, a, lot of, a lot of the things we say on on the, on the podcast generally about you know these captives should be set up for the right reasons anyway, uh, so there should be nothing nothing to hide. I mean, and the point isn't that they're trying to hide anything. The point is that they're told this information is confidential, and now they're being told it's not. But I would just I agree with everything Mike said. I really don't see this as a big impact. Because as you know, Richard, I first read the order and thought our world was over and we all need new jobs. But after reading it over a couple more times, I mean, it, this isn't a cylinder, right? So if the IRS issues a summons while conducting an audit, then the requested information must be provided by that domicile. So it's only if certain circumstances and while it may have far reaching implications down the road for other state regulated financial t 
type institutions. Right now, it's not. And if if I could also add, I don't think there's anything that a, a captive owner or a captive manager provides to the state regulator. I think they can fairly expect that that's something that the IRS uh, can ask for as well. And so keeping this information confidential, as as the Delaware Insurance Department pointed out, there is nothing stopping the IRS from going to those individuals and saying, you know, give us everything that you provided your state regulator. It is a bit of an overkill, uh, perhaps, or at least the Delaware Insurance Department's argument goes, to then go back and ask for similar copies of of the same information uh, from the regulator itself. Uh, But as the court found, there are reasons to do that. The impact to the owner and the captive manager is still the same. Uh, The IRS is almost certainly going to be able to get what it wants. I worried at first, you know, Delaware's reputation as protecting businesses, could that be impacted? And then eventually, you know, Utah, Nevada, et cetera. But like you said, Ben, they can get this anyway. It's just like Form 8886 with the 831B captives. You know, they have it. And, and I also want to add here just real quick that if we look at the general practice under when IRS asks for information, there were cases um, that specifically were on point where work papers, like tax provision work papers, tax calculation work papers, were not considered privileged and confidential, either for accounting firms that were summoned to provide such work papers to, to the service. And there was a, a line is drawn between truly, you know, legal, confidential information that's protected between the client and the attorney and some of the other information that's that wasn't deemed so. And IRS has options and, and, and rights the way, you know, in the environment we live in to obtain such information for purposes of enforcing uh, the internal revenue code. So this, while slightly different, not specific to the tax work papers, but this to me seems to go along the same lines. I I think this is an appropriate point to talk about the other argument that uh, was was somewhat discussed by the court and the, the parties in their briefs. Uh, was that there is a mechanism for uh, the Delaware Insurance Department to have turned over uh, all of the information as requested uh, by the IRS. There is a provision in Delaware law, again, similar uh, in just about every other state whose laws I've looked at, uh, that says that law enforcement of state, other state and federal agencies can receive confidential insurance information so long as they agree to keep it confidential. The Delaware Insurance Department's brief indicated that the IRS refused to accede to Delaware's uh, confidentiality law. I think other states, some other states may have taken a a different approach, which is to say, you know, the IRS has their own confidentiality statute. They do have to keep this information confidential. Uh, We, the state, could deem that to be an equivalent of our law, uh, of an equivalent uh, confidentiality protection uh, for you know the individuals whose information it belongs to, and gone ahead and turned the information over. Not being privy to the the internal discussions between you know Delaware and the and the IRS on how that discussion went, I would suggest that other states uh, probably you know even. Even had this particular case not gone to court, a number of other states, not saying every one, would have probably gone ahead and found a way uh, to turn the information over. For the IRS's part, uh, they are probably never going to send a letter saying, yes, we agree to be bound by Delaware state law. Uh, That's that's typically not how federal uh, law enforcement uh, agents operate. Uh, They don't really care about state laws. They tend to want to follow their own and not unless they absolutely have to track the the laws and regulations of every state. So Wait, who? The IRS? I know. Shock. They don't follow laws? What? 
they are not likely to follow the nuances of individual state laws, uh, especially when it comes to confidentiality right. uh, protections. They're, they're, they're going to say, we're, we have our own, we like our own, we're not really going to keep track of, of this. At the same time, I have not done an analysis. I think you would have a hard time, though, trying to find if there is daylight between what Delaware's uh, confidentiality law uh, requires uh, would require the IRS uh, or a law enforcement agent to keep confidential and what the IRS's own confidentiality statute would require uh, to keep confidential. I hope the analysis was done. Uh, I hope it was worth it uh, for Delaware to go through uh, these machinations, uh, but I would suggest that that other states might not find there's really much of any daylight to uh, to fight over this, certainly to the level uh, that was done in this case. Well, I mean, as a captive owner, would you not be encouraged that Delaware is trying to stick up for your rights under their statute? Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, as I've said before many times when we discuss these kinds of issues, I'm obviously not a technical or, or legal expert at all, particularly uh, not when it comes to U.S. Uh, kind of state-based insurance versus uh, IRS. Um, but, I mean, I would be surprised if there was anything – I'd like to think I'd be surprised that if there was anything in uh, that communication between um, Artex, Tribeca, and Delaware uh, regulators uh, that would be of any problem. You know, I mean, they are talking to a, a insurance regulator um, so you'd like to think there shouldn't be any kind of smoking guns um, in, in such communications. But I can see why Delaware would want to defend the, the kind of, as, as you guys have set out, the kind of privilege or confidential position that some of that communication should have. Let's let's move on. I know you've touched on this already, Ben, a little bit, uh, and Cassie as well, in terms of the McCarran-Ferguson Act. And there was there is substantial discussion regarding the MFA in the order. And as I've come to learn over my kind of eight years involved in the captive industry, the McCarran-Ferguson Act is kind of held up as as a, extremely important to the insurance system and, and the state-based uh, system of, of regulation. And as you said, the DDOI had argued uh, that the reverse preemption under MFA should apply in this case, and, and the court disagreed, obviously. So to what extent, Ben, does this, this undermine uh, the McCarran-Ferguson Act and, and the state-based system of insurance regulation, if at all? I, I don't think it is the end of all good things in the world. Uh, I think we're, we're far from it. Uh, if there is you know, any significant negative impact, it, it is uh, a, a chink uh, in the armor that uh, our state confidentiality statutes provide. If I am a, a litigant in a lawsuit or something like that, I find myself in federal court going to do some you know, legal research and probably uncover an opinion like this uh, and try to argue that, uh, that, well, if it's good for the IRS, that a federal subpoena essentially blows through uh, the state confidentiality protections. I think that's uh, a little bit of a broad, way too broad of an interpretation, because that's not really uh, what the court was addressing here. But it is uh, a court ruling that there are mechanisms where you know a federal subpoena does not have to follow the state law, which says that you know the subpoena cannot be used to reach uh, this particular confidential information. How that is played out in other states and other rulings and other federal courts uh, remains to be seen. But I, if there is any you know real long-term lasting consequence, uh, is that you know that is a potential path where someone that who doesn't have access uh, to to this information, uh, someone in a party to a divorce, or someone uh, involved in a in a lawsuit wanting to know what or why coverage was set up the way it was covered, that may not necessarily be able to get that directly from uh, the insured or directly from the uh, 
the insurance company may then try to go to state regulator and get it that way. And that will have to be seen uh, how that plays out in the future. So, uh, Mike, just to kind of round this up then, do you think this kind of decision has the potential to spook captive owners or, or prospective captive owners when it comes to choosing a domicile with? I mean, it sounds like from what Ben and Cassie are saying, it, it isn't the end of the world. And as you said as well, but is it likely to make going offshore more appealing to anyone? To be honest, no, I don't think so. First, obviously, it should resonate, as we mentioned on the webcast, that um, Delaware fighting for the rights of their uh, constituents and, and fighting this not to provide information should resonate with with the clients, with their uh, constituents, and and it's a it's a heartwarming kind of attempt by Delaware to uh, to protect the confidentiality, whether or not that will end up that way. Uh, with that said, and granted, as far as I understand the legal procedures, IRS may not be able to force, let's say, an offshore company to provide certain information just simply due to lack of jurisdiction that IRS or you know U.S. federal government has over the foreign jurisdiction uh, for such information. So looking through that lens, um, I can see future owners or current captive owners potentially thinking that if they use someone offshore, that may limit uh, the disclosure of such information. But we also have to remember that most of the companies that operate offshore also have offices in the US and they're probably uh, I would imagine procedures that IRS can employ, federal government can employ to ask for the information uh, from them, even though their foreign affiliate or foreign office is withholding such information. But generally, coming back to the point uh, of, is this going to make this a mass exodus from states to to look for uh, foreign jurisdiction or, or spook someone, current, perspective, uh, current captive owners or prospective captive owners? Uh, from choosing a state domicile, I don't think that will be the case. I sure hope it's not going to be the case because at the end of the day, coming back to what I said before, we're setting up captives for valid business and insurance reasons. It is not a secret that in the U.S. there is a tax benefit in some cases to owning a captive and risk financing in a tax-efficient manner. But this procedural event and, and, and the whatever the outcome will be is just that in my view it, it should be taken um, for what it is nothing more nothing less and the prospective captive owners and the current captive owners should co- continue to follow the rules and regulations of the market set up the captives for valid business reasons and making sure that everything is ticked and tied they they use the proper consultants they do everything that's that's required of them to do to have a valid valid insurance company. If such documents are requested by the law enforcement agency, just like they can be now, whether or not they'll go to the state and asking for copies of the other documents to compare, that's, that's a different story. But in any IRS procedure, in any IRS audit, the clients uh, that own captives should definitely expect IRS to ask, at least on their side, to ask for such information. So I don't think that changes anything in that regard. So my, my call is no, I don't think this will be a spooking factor. Um, it will be a factor to consider, just like any other factors that we currently have in the market. 
Well, thank you to Cassie, Ben and Mike for a very helpful 25-minute explainer on this case. As ever, I am sure there will be further developments and we will seek to keep you updated on those as they arise. Please do check out globalcaptivepodcast.com website for further information on our guests in this episode, as well as exploring our full back catalogue of thought leadership, captive owner interviews and insights. In the meantime, stay safe, stay well and see you next time, captives. Captives.